All right, if you will be turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. And as you're turning there, uh, let me just remind you of a little of the distance from which we have come. Remember that the letter to the Roman church is Paul trying to help unify them, trying to help them to see that the, the conservatives or, or the Jews, the maintainers, who were trying to say, hey, we're the original people of God, and that means more than the new kids on the block, the progressives, if you had some newfangled ways of kind of thinking about some things and doing some things, uh, that, that they are actually a unified people, that there are things that unify them that matter far, far, far more than any differences that they could come up with or that are actual. And so we get more of that this morning, as we'll see, this chapter is all about the unifying work and power of the Holy Spirit. So let's keep that in mind as we step into the text and hear the word of the Lord. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we step into this text, let me tell you the key truth that I want us to walk away with this morning. It's that the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in resurrected newness of life as, evidenced by our, as evidence of our union with Christ. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in resurrected newness of life as evidence of our union with Christ. Now, as we step into this text, let me ask you a question. What helps you to feel more alive? I suspect that how you would answer that question, like myself, we often run to the good things, right? We often feel more alive when we're having fun. We feel more alive when we're doing something challenging that we can actually accomplish. We feel more alive uh, when, when things usually are going well, right? So, so it's difficult when we use phrases around the church like life more abundant especially if you have bothered to read any of the letters in the New Testament that talk an awful lot about suffering. See, the real question is, how can we recognize the resurrected newness of life that courses through our veins under every circumstance? And how can we begin to recognize that the Lord uses in his sovereignty both what he gives and what he takes away to shape us further into his image? How can we become the people in any given room that are the most creative and the most hopeful? Not in a silly way, not in a name it, claim it way, not in some sort of pie in the sky type way, but a true resilience because of our union with Christ. A true resilience because we know how the story ends and we know how the story goes along the way. Not every detail, but in general. Right? We, we have hope because of Christ and the spirit that indwells us. And so what Paul is trying to do here, remember he's coming out of chapter 7. I know it's been a while and we, we took a, a detour into the book of Zephaniah for a bit. But, but do remember that the issue was not so much who is Paul talking about in terms of the person who's struggling with sin, right? the, the person who's struggling with their flesh. The, the issue was more what is the solution regardless of who that person is. And the solution is the Holy Spirit. 
to walk in life because of the Holy Spirit, to recognize your indweltness, that you, you, the Holy Spirit was a gift to us from Jesus to help us along the way and to help us to live lives that truly are abundant in every circumstance. And this is something that we want to mature in and grow in so that we can look more like Jesus. Because if you read the narratives of the Gospels and look at Jesus' life, if you were him, it'd be hard not to be discouraged some days. It didn't look like winning or reigning or victory hardly at any point along the way. The people that were closest to him couldn't understand what he was talking about half the time. You do remember he did preach that one sermon about the body and the blood and 4,988 people at minimum walked away. Now, y'all have been so gracious to never do that to me necessarily, at least not mid-sermon. And so you got to imagine for Jesus, the the, the power of life and resurrection meant, meant something different than what we in our Western victorious, triumphalistic mindset sometimes understand. And so we want to be more like Jesus. And so as we step into this text, let's take special note of how Paul is making this argument. Uh, Coming out of Matt's sermon last week, he was saying, basically, those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. But here's where he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to help them to see what the power is that unifies them. Listen to what he says. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Right? So he's trying to encourage them, he's trying to tell them, you have been given this great gift. If you remember how Jesus talks about it in John 14 and 16, remember that those are the two chapters. If you ever want to have a discussion about the personal work of Holy Spirit, you have to go there. You have to know those, those verses about the Spirit in 14 and 16 because it's where Jesus essentially defines or describes the personal work of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know that, you can get tangled up in some pretty weird stuff if you just jump to 1 Corinthians 12. And along the way, don't forget Galatians 5. That's pretty important too. But Jesus makes it very clear that that him being crucified, rising from the dead, and ascending brings a particular gift to God's people. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. He refers to him as the helper. And in 14, he makes it very clear that the helper is going to lead and guide us in everything that's true, right? And what a gift that is to have that in all the means of grace help us to access that powerful reality. Now, I know some of you are thinking, (laughs) if it were only that simple, if he just like, if he would just send me an email or maybe a text message and make it real clear what I'm supposed to do, well... I understand, and I can definitely appreciate that, given the paradoxical nature of life and the necessity at times to practice wisdom when it doesn't seem like there's a real clear answer or you're in some circumstance that just seems lose-lose, right? It'd be nice if God would just make it super clear. But he's invited us into the work. It would, be way, it would actually be demeaning to us and, and, and the Psalm 8 reality of who we are to him for him just to tell us and not invite us into the work that is formative and shaping. It is a great gift to us that we get to wrestle. It is a great gift to us that we get to become instead of just be. And so Paul here is saying you are filled with that, but then he makes a qualification that I think is important. He says... You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Now, why is that important that he makes this qualification? Did he offer something with his right hand and then took it away with his left? No, what he's making sure that they understand, because you've got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to, on one side, the, the, the Jewish folks, the, the conservatives, who, who would have had very distinct ideas. They were very noetic or knowledge-based in, in their relationship to God, which is a commodified exchange. Many of us in the Reformed community are very similar. We think just because we know something means either that we have it or we've mastered it or that it's true of us. Is that true? No, it isn't. And in fact, he makes that very clear here and further. So it's important that he's saying it's not just because you think so or you know some things or you've declared it. There has to be an outworking, an actual evidence of. It is not enough to say. Too many of us think, well, if I say I'm saved, that should be sufficient. No, it isn't. And that's not to undermine your assurance of pardon or, or your surety in Christ. No, it should be that there are some clear evidences, right? And again, this is where it'd be helpful if we were to turn to John 16. In fact, let me invite you to do that now. If you would turn to John chapter 16, and let's hear clearly from Jesus how we would know. How would we know if we are walking in the Spirit? How would we know if we are indwelt by the Spirit? We'll pick it up in verse 7, and I'll read through 11. Listen to what Christ says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world, this world is judged. Now, what we can do is take from that some principles that are important for us, some things that ought to be at work in our life. So one of the ways that you can tell if the Holy Spirit, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and that should be evident to other people, is that you are easily convicted by sin. And that you recognize the need for repentance and you recognize that which way you ought run because you are in union with Christ is to the throne of grace. You need not ever think that you are not welcome before the throne of grace if you are a child of God. If Jesus is your Savior, your Redeemer, you have perpetual eternal access. So one of the ways that you can kind of examine how the Spirit's at work in you is do you have a tender conscience? Do you have a, a tender heart? Now, if you have a hard heart, does that mean you're automatically out? This is very important. No, it doesn't because that may be the beginning of the tendering of your heart. And we all find ourselves in seasons of hardness, don't we? Where we have maybe forsaken the means of grace or worship just hasn't been that rich to us. Or more importantly, we have failed to use the gifts that God has given us and we find ourselves in a dry desert place. And so just because you have some hardness of heart, just because your conscience maybe ain't as tender as it ought be, doesn't mean you're out. But it is a warning light. It's a check engine light, if you will for you to, to reorient and come boldly before the throne of grace and cry out and say, Lord, tender my heart. 
What a gift that it's not an absolute, but what a gift that we have some things that we can look to, right? So are you growing in repentance? Well, an easy way to kind of figure that out is when is the last time you sinned? It's interesting. As Reformed folks, we make it very clear. I am still a mix of saint sinner. Uh, I like Paul and chief among sinners. That seems like a kind of a humble brag if you ask me. But uh, we, we, we like to emphasize sin. But it's interesting when you press into that and say, okay, but what, what are you talking about? Like, tell me practically what does that look like? Suddenly, there's a lot of theological obfuscation going on. Well, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into the details. I don't really, you know, I don't want to get too specific here. I don't want to kiss and tell, if you will. Uh, and, so, and so we actually fail in some measure. We hide behind one of the great truths of Scripture instead of being able to come fully out into the light and be redeemed by God's grace. And so fear not is willing to show you where you can grow. Now, one of the banks of the river here that you want to be careful of is uh, perfectionism. You ever going to be perfect before Jesus returns and glorifies you? No. No, and that's one of the reasons why Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, hey, one of the evidences of your indwelling of the Spirit is that you be perfect. No, if you, if you need a tender conscience, what is Jesus admitting you're going to struggle with? You're going to struggle with sin. In addition to that, you also ought to be convicted by righteousness. Now, remember that righteousness is the character of God displayed in the world. And as I've encouraged you, Exodus 34, 6, and 7 is a great passage to memorize about the person and the work of God himself. It's where he defines himself. You could add to that the place where Jesus defines himself as gentle and lowly. These ought to be the things that we are convicted of. We ought to want to display steadfast love and patience and long-suffering and forgiveness and justice in the world, right? Those ought to be things that we, we are cognizant of in ourselves and we are actively looking to grow in maturity in those things. We should be convicted of that. That's evidence of the Spirit's work in you. I can be kind of a rough and tumble guy, but I don't hide behind that as, uh, as, as, as okay, right? Like I recognize that as, as the pastor of a church, as a child of God, I need to be growing in, in God's righteousness. In fact, just this week, somebody made a statement. It's one of those things, you know how God uses those, those it's not, it wasn't even direct. It wasn't a critique. It wasn't aimed at me. But that's so beautifully how the spirit works is the thing that you kind of didn't see quite coming lands. All my defenses were down. I was talking to an old friend of mine and he made a statement. And he was, it was a positive thing from his perspective. But the spirit used me to grieve me. To help me to see that I need to, I need to be, first of all, I need to repent of, of, of this, this aspect of myself, and, and I need to grow in righteousness. And as the Spirit does, it, just in case I didn't get it the first time, he, he kind of tripled down over several different things, something I was reading, another comment a friend made, and it was kind of like I was going, okay, 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 all right, I got it. No, I don't, but I'm trying. And so this is, this is good for us, right, to be able to look at the character of God and to look at ourselves. We also have, don't forget Galatians 5, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, which is all the different ways in which we are to love God and love our neighbor, right? And so you, you can use those things to examine yourself. 
And too often, I think we are not as self-reflective as we ought be as God's people. We don't actually sit down with these things. We just go, ah, he'll, he'll, he'll let me know at some point. Where, uh, remember what Paul said. You can judge me, but I've already judged myself. Right? Like he, he's, he's very clear that self-examination is something that, that Christians ought to practice. And we ought to use the good stuff, not just the, the bad things, but to use the things of God to help us to see where we need to grow and then to make that a matter of prayer and to focus on those kinds of things through the means of grace in our devotional time. It's a great gift to us. And then one other thing that Jesus mentions that, that ought to be evidence of the Spirit indwelling us is that judgment actually matters to us. And we're going to hear this from Paul when we get to chapter 9. Right? It's one of the most startling passages in Scripture where he says, I would give up my salvation. You know, what is he even saying? I would give up my salvation for my brothers and sisters coming into the kingdom. Now, you don't go making a doctrine out of that. that was a, he was effusing in his affectations. That's different than turning that into a doctrine of, well, all right, well, let's go lose our salvation and see if some other people come into the kingdom. That's not how that works. But what he's saying is he has such a passion to see his own brothers and sisters come into the kingdom. And we too ought to have that same passion. How is the world, and we talked about this before, when you confront somebody who doesn't have Jesus on an issue of sin, why are you shocked when they look at you, renewed mind and heart? Not reason, not logic, right? Not, not you saying it a certain way. If it takes the actual move of the Spirit to convict, then why are we not more moved by the fact that that person may perish? Remember, we talked about this in the Zephaniah series, this issue of maintenance and mission, right? We need both. If the church was just all about mission and, and exhausting themselves and always going, there wouldn't be a whole lot left for, for the home fires and other discipleship issues. If the maintenance people get their way, then we are shoving our light under a bushel. We're no longer a city on a hill, and we will perish in a generation or two. And that actually is merciful, as a church, that is. Not, not, I'm not threatening you to die. But it is important that we do both, right? We have to have maintenance and mission. And this is a key part of it, right? Is understanding that people will perish unless they are able to hear, and we are sent. We are sent ones. Each of us has different people in our spheres of influence, as we've talked about before. You don't witness as a separate event. You are witnessing by your life at all times. Always. People have opinions about you based on the little bits of information they get based on their interactions or if they're your neighbor just watching you across the way. I've talked about this before. People thought I was an absolute monster because Susan used to cut the front part of the yard with a push mower while I rode around the estate with a mint julep in hand, telling her she missed spots. I didn't actually do that, by the way, but that's what my neighbors thought I was doing. And so fortunately, the Lord allowed me to have some conversations and correct some of that. Well, now I just cut it because I don't know. We got new neighbors and I don't know if I'm going to get the chance. And so I'm done with that. And so, uh, and the whole reason she cut it, by the way, is I'm allergic to it in some form or fashion. So 
I don't want you guys thinking I'm some sort of great saint or martyr by virtue of cutting grass I'm allergic to. It actually probably is more about pride, if we're honest, because I'm worried about what my neighbors think. But the point is, we, uh, we are always witnessing. And you need to be cognizant of that. Not, don't let it cripple you. Don't let it cause you to think too much about it. Just, just live in Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. May the Spirit that indwells you help you. And we should be concerned about the judgment that is coming and the impact that it's going to have on those in our, our spheres of influence. Because if we don't care, as Christians, tell me, who's going to? Now, don't get overly reformed here and say, well, isn't God going to save who he's going to save? Yes, and maybe in spite of you. But it would be better if we were to participate with him, which is what we've been created and recreated for, right? Like you weren't raptured when you were saved because you are the hands and feet of Jesus in this dying world. And we need to take that seriously. And that's evidence of the spirit working us. And you may say your confession today might be, well, I, I'm not gonna be honest with you. I don't really care. Okay. That's actually a good confession if it leads you to repentance and leads you to righteousness and leads you to care about judgment. It is a horrific confession and actually evidence that the Spirit is not in you. If you continue to not care and your heart hardens to the point that you turn away from those who are perishing. This is what Paul's going to get to when he gets to chapter 9. Right? He's showing his affectation for those who are perishing. And we should too. And this is evidence of the Spirit at work in us. And then the last thing I'll say that Jesus points out is that if, if the Spirit is at work in you, you will exalt Jesus. You just will. You will exalt Jesus in any number of ways, spoken, unspoken, deeds, and otherwise. Sometimes you exalt Jesus by just going and asking for forgiveness, which actually is an interesting aspect of life more abundant. Sometimes not the end of the story, Right? Sometimes we look like Jesus when we pursue reconciliation when it don't make no sense and even the other party is not terribly interested in it. And so it's very important that we recognize that yes, the Spirit ought to be at work in us. If we are redeemed in Christ, that is a gift to us. That is not something that is up for grabs. That is a finished work and reality. But you need to be able to know the outworkings or evidences of that. And that's what these are. Paul goes on, he says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And as Matt pointed out last week, this distinction between flesh and spirit is not dualism. It's not this, this, that the spirit is against the body. No, the body is very important. But what he's pointing out here is this is how powerful the spirit is. That even, it, you, even the fullness of the death that is in you because of sin and darkness and brokenness does not have the final say. And to that, God's people should say, amen. And so he's making it very clear that this is, this, this is sure. This, this is a fixed reality because of Christ's righteousness, his finished work, not yours. Remember, Paul's been making that point all throughout the book of Romans that it's not your works that save you, but how you live matters as evidence of your being saved. 
So he's making it clear here but because the Spirit works off of and operates out of the finished work of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, the character of God displayed in the flesh, that we can have a surety. We are assured of our pardon. I know some of you may be thinking, Cameron's getting kind of lazy. Our assurance of pardon is the same as the sermon text. No, that was very intentional, actually. I wanted you to see that, no, this is part of the assurance of our pardon is the evidence of the Spirit at work in and through us. And it is something that is embodied. It's not, it's not something that is to come. It starts now. Do you understand that by virtue of you as baptized ones, to go back to our language from Romans 6, you have the Spirit at work in you. The resurrection has already begun. What a great gift that is that the resurrection's already begun. Now, I know you may be thinking, well, hold on a second. I, Josh was just telling me this morning about his poor old swole knee that he can't seem to get under control. That don't feel like resurrection power. I, when I stepped down because I made fun of him, God, in his humor, when I stepped down, my left knee hurt real bad. <laughs> now, I'm, not, I'm not for the retribution principle, but every once in a while, I think God lets us have a little taste. Right, it doesn't sometimes feel like there are ways in which it'll be displayed before the not yet, but it'll be fully displayed when Jesus returns and makes all things new, which allows us to live with a kind of hope that this world is desperate to see in us. I don't know if you've read any of the headlines recently, but we had a young lady who, who, who was attacked at Swift Cantrell Park. What a horrible, horrible story, and it happened on Mother's Day. Any of you who read the headlines yesterday, we had a, a, a very evil, broken-minded young man who drove a number of hours to Buffalo, New York to shoot black people at a grocery store in a predominantly black neighborhood. He killed 10 people, wounded three more. For what? And of course, if you've read the headlines about anything that's going on in, in Ukraine and the number, the loss of life is, is just incomprehensible. So who's going to have hope if we don't? If the spirit that indwells us doesn't matter, what good are we to this world? Right? What good does it do for us to hide out until it ends either for us or Jesus comes back? If you want to see those things change, we have to, use, we have to be part of the redemptive solution because of the spirit who indwells us, because of the finished work of Christ. And listen how Paul concludes this piece. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If, you, if, if that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who was crucified, it was, he clearly was gone. If, if he can raise Jesus from the dead under that circumstance, how much more can he do? And you who are living, though you're dead in the flesh, how much more can he do through all of us? Think of the witness we, Christ Community Church, could have if we took seriously the spirit that indwells us. That we were the swiftest convicted of our sin and the fastest to repent and pursue reconciliation. If we were those who wanted to display the righteousness of God, steadfast love, who, who here says, I don't really like people who display steadfast love? Who here says, I don't, I don't like patient people? You know, 
I like getting spun up real fast. I like fighting a whole bunch. It's great. Who here doesn't want a more just circumstance? Who here would not want to be forgiven to an inordinate number of times? Who here would not want mercy? And yet we, we can display that in a way that can be for the life of the world, for God's glory, for our joy. I've said this, I think one of our problems as we come out from under the, the malaise of COVID is we haven't gotten back to mission yet. We had to kind of reorient and get our feet back up under us, but it felt like everything hit pause for at least two years. And I know we're a little nervous. We're a little nervous to get back out there and, and, and to do the things that God's called us to do because we're afraid something, something else is just going to happen. Putin's going to nuke the world or whatever. Well, that, that's not anything we have control over. What we have to do is to continue to be the people of God in every riven circumstance, be a people of hope, be a people who can sorrow and lament with hope. A people who can, who can take joy in each other and take joy in our friends and neighbors and show hospitality and long to see them become part of the family. And so oh, this is the great gift that the Spirit is to us. We are filled with that creative, recreative, redemptive power. I love the way Francis Schaeffer puts it because he, he brings it, uh, so often he, he was gifted to do, he takes it from the theological obfuscation realm and pulls it into the, the real world. He says, our redemption is not just some far off transcendental thing relating only to the world of ideas. Now that statement has a lot of freight to it and I would actually encourage you to use it to examine yourself. Is your Christianity, is, is your life in the spirit really some far-off, transcendental set of ideas? Or it, it, does it have to do with the full person? Just as our future salvation will involve the full redemption and resurrection of the body, so also in this present life, our redemption is to mean something in terms of our physical bodies. We are to incarnate the righteousness of God the fruit of the Spirit, and the, and, and, and the image of Christ. Fortunately, those all mean the same thing. Those are three separate things, as it turns out. So let me ask you, and I would, I would encourage you, meditate on this, this Lord's Day, and, and ask the Lord to help you see there may be some places that you hadn't really, hadn't really thought about it, that, that maybe you're evidencing the work of the indwelt Spirit better than you thought. And maybe you can ask other family members. Now, do remember it's the Lord's Day Sabbath. So don't, if you've got an ax to grind, save that for Monday. But try to, like, what is a way in which we could actually be genuinely encouraging to each other and help each other to see the evidence of the Spirit in us? But what evidence is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life? And again, this ain't where you get all falsely humble and like, well, I, you know, it's hard to really quantify how awesome I am. I mean, it's really hard to, you know, look straight at it and not, not lose my humility. No, forget all that. Uh, just don't publish it on the internet and you should be okay. Uh, but, but do take the time and ask. Look, uh, reflect, ask the Spirit to help you see. And ask where you can grow. That's the beauty of the hope of the Spirit because it's not about perfection. If you're not doing this very well, it is not the end of the story. 
at all. And praise be to God in his grace. And so from Romans 8, 9 through 11, we, we hopefully see and better experience that the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in resurrected newness of life as evidence of our union with Christ. 